0: Thursday, everybody, and welcome back to Designing Growth. This is your host, Sam Chalbowski. Today, I am joined by a very awesome guest, and I'm very excited for everybody to meet. Ricky Payne, affectionately called Auntie Rick, is a business operations strategist. Ricky and I had a really great conversation like two weeks ago, talking about all things software, also talking a little bit about her background. And it was just such a fun chat that I was really excited to sync back up and record a conversation this time that everybody out there could listen to. So, Ricky, first things first, how are you doing today?
1: I'm great, Sam. Thanks for having me.
0: Wonderful. Could you tell our audience a little bit about your background and what led you to do what you do now as a business founder and entrepreneur?
1: All right. Well, let's go all the way back. I started in the business operations space as a lad way, way back in the day. And That just seemed to follow me. I always ended up in roles with the behind the scenes roles and how the business works and stuff. I landed a job at, I won't say their name, I'll just say their symbol because they're not a sponsor, but if you're familiar (laughs) with Trademark and the BAT, and it's the spirits company, I ended up there in their operations department where I was responsible for making sure that product got from the plant to the destination that was responsible for North America. And one fun part of that job was tracking the tanker that held the alcohol base. And if we ran into pirates, I needed to make sure that I notify whomever needed to be notified to make sure that they sorted it out. From there, I moved into their trading department, which handled All the trade agreements, they handled the shipping and logistics agreements. We handled sales forecasting. During my time in that department, they decided to consolidate all of the product coding and the materials so we could identify by one number where product was made, where the materials came from, and the market it was going to. That was the goal. It was almost 20 years ago now, but I was a co-lead on that project. I got in trouble because one of the heads of one of the market, he was actually holding us up. My manager at the time was like, you cannot keep calling him. I was like, they keep calling me and I can't finish (laughs) this if he doesn't do it. So I'm just going to keep calling. I'm doing my job. But that really set it off for me as far as analyzing data, looking at data, making sure things were efficient, being able to spot something that wasn't supposed to happen. Because at one point when we were cleansing data, I noticed that our sister companies in Europe had been supplying product to a country with a label of a country they were at war with. Being up on world events was a big part of it as well. Working there in my first four or five years, I was also very nosy. I never let the, well, this is how we do it, stop me. I was like, so why do we do this? And if we do it like this, who else is effective? They built a lot of their software in-house. And for whatever reason, even before I worked there, I would get software and then the software would start acting wonky. And it just became a running joke before you ship it make sure Ricky gets to play with it because if it's going to break, it's going to break on her desk. Looking at the details and learning how to record the issues as they happen to try and replicate them. And then from the trading department, I moved into consolidations, which was basically all of the financial data reporting from all of their offices worldwide. I was actually responsible for putting together the reports for the directors and shareholders. I thought it was a graphic design job. I had no idea when I applied for it. It was actually a financial services job. I was ready to get into Photoshop and start making my covers and making things look pretty. And then they were like, oh, you got to go run the numbers. I was like, run what numbers? I hated accounting. Okay, just let me go back real quick. So I graduated high school at 15. I went to a two-year college. And my first, my accounting professor gave me a C. I can't get C's. What is this? She was like, well, you're being lazy, so I'm going to give you a C. And if you don't retake it next quarter, I'm going to change it to an F. And I couldn't graduate without it. So she made me redo accounting. And I was really grateful when I moved into that last role that I had at that company because that's essentially what it was. In that position... Because we were the first one to see the numbers from everywhere and to see the numbers as they were setting for budget, I learned how to tell what business decisions were being made, but based on the numbers, based on sales numbers, based on why are they moving $3 million from this account to HR. I also got to hear a lot of trade secrets that I will take with me when I go. But because of the positioning of my desk, The CFO and the controllers, their offices were directly across from me. So the CEO would come down and sometimes they'd pass each other on the steps or whatever and just stand and lean against the wall to my cubicle and have conversations that I'd be like, I was paying attention. So I learned a really big multinational corporation. And I'm fortunate enough that this particular company ran a type ship. My love for SOPs and documentation came from my first manager it was a requirement and she called it our Bible and you were required to have a Bible. It was required to be updated at least once a quarter because at any time, if you are away from your desk, somebody had to be able to jump in and handle your mark. Like the functions of our position were the same across the board, but different market, different cultural operation, different languages. I had to learn how to say, where are your numbers in italian and french and spanish and i don't remember the, any of that stuff now but all of those notes were in our bible and in working with her uh, she really set the foundation for what i do so fast forward some changes happened i ended up moving to atlanta and i went to radio and television school ended up with an internship at a very well-known radio station in atlanta and they put me on the midday show as a producer and the dj happened to be new to the market and people were calling in for him and trying to get his attention and stuff i was the person who answered the phone i ended up leaving the radio station and then work for him work for myself but with him as a client i took on a couple more clients and i had always tinkered with building website and somebody called window that I ended up doing that schools and then they had another school that was opening within their family. And the director of that location hired me to do his website and I started doing WordPress website. In a very, this campy not like moment, I was like, you know how to run a business. You do this. You've done this for years. You know what it is. So like, stop it. It only took me five years to get to the point that I knew the things that I needed to know to be efficient Mm -hmm. and to not have to spend so much time doing stuff. I got myself together. I made a product coding system similar to what I made as multi-million dollar corporation. I adopted that for myself and applied it to my business and my life. And I shaved about three hours of work off of my day easily. Had I spoken to somebody about pricing before, a lot earlier that probably would have saved me a lot more headache
0: in terms of like raising your prices and charging enough to actually
1: live and enjoy the three hours a day I was saving and
0: so that's something that's really interesting what would you tell a new business owner who kind of has their first round of pricing set up, what should they be looking for? What are indicators to them that they should maybe raise their prices?
1: Now, can I use colorful language?
0: Yeah, we have the explicit E on uh, the listening (laughs) directory.
1: Okay, so if you find yourself saying they are not paying me enough for this shit, at least once a week, you are not charging enough.
0: I love that. That's the first indicator.
1: The the minute a client comes to you and asks you for the 15th revision and you've only included two revisions in their contract, the minute you say they are not paying me enough for this shit, double your rate.
0: That is amazing advice. I was
1: like, are you kidding me right now? One big mistake Not even necessarily you quit your job and start doing it, but when you're setting your prices and you're basing it in comparison to what you're getting paid at your job, you now take on the expenses that your employer takes care of. So Mm -hmm. if you're making $30 an hour on your job, you need to be charging $90 an hour for yourself, Mm -hmm. at least at Mm -hmm. minimum, because as a business owner, you are now responsible for all the things that your employer picks up. Mm -hmm. And for me... I definitely was cutting myself short because that particular company, I had full health, medical, dental, optical insurance for myself and my daughter. They fed us mm-hmm. lunch every day. And I'm not talking like a paper bag lunch. We had lunch. We had a mater I think I had four weeks of vacation, two weeks of sick leave, plus three personal days, summer hours. Like it was ridiculous. So if my base pay was 80, Package was probably close to worth one forty yeah. as an ear, and that's all the way back in two thousand in two thousand five as an executive assistant. Yeah. And so, in hindsight, I can see that now. But for me to have carried on the lifestyle I was accustomed to, there's no way thirty dollars an hour should even enter my mind. Mm-hmm. I should have started at maybe one hundred and fifty two hundred dollars an hour. See what your competition is charging. But also make sure you're looking at the type of client that you're looking for, the time you're saving them, the effort you're saving them, the convenience fee. You always want to add in a pain in the ass fee, a PETA fee, and do it before you find out that the client is a pain in the ass. Bake so, it into
0: your contracts and things. Yeah,
1: It's hard to backtrack and then tack that fee on it. Your PETA fee should be baked mm-hmm. in. Yeah. There's another thing. Please have a refund policy intact. I think it's Stripe. Somewhere on their website, when it comes to refund policies, they say that no refunds is not a refund policy. So have a refund policy and something I learned. I don't know where I picked it up from, but I had a friend hire me for a project and the deliverables were lost in translation. She was the middle person and -hmm. whatever she conveyed to me wasn't exactly what the client wanted. And I didn't know what questions to ask her because I didn't know the client. yeah. It ended up where I would have to refund her, but I had already done maybe 12 hours of work. I mean, I didn't have to refund her, but that was a friend, an actual friend. It was the right thing to do. And so at the last minute I said to her, I said, we didn't even have a contract. So I'll get back to that. But I said, okay, I've done X, Y, Z. We mutually agreed they would pay me for that 12 hours at my hourly rate. After I hung up the phone with her, I was like, I need a refund by And I had been working for seven (laughs) years before I needed. I was like, I need a refund policy. And the refund policy needs to be a calculation. And that calculation needs to be in a contract. And we never, ever, 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 ever do work without a contract anymore.
0: It's your safety net from preventing things from happening. And I think a lot of times, too, it's like with contracts, half the stuff in there, is never going to apply, Mm -hmm. but it is your safety net for if the unexpected does happen. One of the things when you were talking about at the very beginning how you didn't charge enough, it was because the way that you explained this, you were new as a business owner. You were just jumping into this. It took a while to get to that point, looking at your website, and one of the first lines on there, transforming accidental entrepreneurs into intentional business owners. I love it. It's super concise. It speaks to who you serve, but talking with you today, the thing that I love most about that is it also draws from some of your own experiences. These lessons that you have, in a lot of ways, already learned the hard way. And you can stop people from making some of those same mistakes that you did.
1: Exactly. I was watching Shark Tank one night and Mark Cuban called somebody a wantrepreneur. And I was like, well, I'm a have topreneur because I didn't have a choice. I moved to Georgia and I was technically unemployable. I was sending in my resume. I know now, almost 20 years later, that... I was just applying for roles that I should not have been applying for. But I had hiring mm-hmm. managers told me that my resume was intimidating. I was coming from an international location. Managers would think that I was coming for their job. I was like, I ain't got no time for that. I got a kid to feed. And so that's how I ended up with my first VA client. It was out of necessity. I was a entrepreneur, TM for the trade market. But on the flip side, where the other part of the accidental entrepreneur comes from, I have a lot of colleagues and I've had a lot of clients who said, oh, I just want to do this. And they do it and they have amazing success. What they call accidental success. Oh, I was just trying this out. I just wanted to see what would happen. And they make six figures in three months. They would have been happy to make $500 off of what they were doing, but it clicked and it took off and they've been going and keeping things going but they can see further out from what everybody else around them see. And they can Mm -hmm. see it falling apart if they don't do something quickly. And that's where I come in. One of the other things is we're talking 2007. Like we didn't have a whole bunch of these communities online. I just did not have the resource around me to tap into. As far as running my business, like I said, it took me a minute to be like, duh you do this you know how to run your numbers for the week for the month for the quarter so get back on that schedule of doing that type of stuff so that you can have a timetable I didn't have anybody to talk to about entrepreneurship and running a business and how hard it was and damn it why do I have to be the marketing person and the admin person and the legal person like I'm doing legal HR all of that but thankfully I had background in all those areas so that wasn't as hard for me to find what I needed because I knew what needed to be done. One thing I noticed as well just in the clientele I had because I did do branding and web for a good part of my independent working career, I had two types of clients. Those who had never worked in a management or higher position mm-hmm. and those who had worked in management or higher. And so they mm-hmm. approached entrepreneurship in a totally different way, both as a business owner and as a client. Mm. And those with the managerial experience I found didn't really fuss too much about what got done and didn't fuss too much about the rate. Either owned the business before and had their own set of mistakes that they learned from, so they were less hands-on once they hired somebody to do what needed to be done. To even like dissect that for a second,
0: I could see why that would be the case is because they're hiring you for a specific reason. They know what they want out of it. And as long as they get those end results, they're going to be happy. Where I think if on the flip side, the person who either hasn't owned a business before or hasn't even had experience working within the larger ecosystem Mm -hmm. might be a little bit more questionable Mm -hmm. of the things you're doing. Because they're unsure if this investment that they're making is going to pay off, where a person who is an experienced business owner is going to say, yeah, I hired this person for a very specific reason. I have no reason to question what they're doing. That's a really interesting insight. When we were running the web design agency, there were kind of those two types of clients as well. We were focused in the mental health space, Mm. and there would be one set of clients who they knew they needed a website. It was just something they hadn't done yet, or they knew they needed to redesign their website. It was something that they'd just been putting off. And then the other set of customers were people who were brand new to their business. And those types of people, we had to do a lot more explaining, a lot more hand-holding. Once we understood that, that these were just two different types of people, it became a lot easier to manage them because we knew the expectations of going in We knew for one client that we'd have to do a little bit more and we were prepared to do those extra things where with the other client, we knew that we could just say, hey, here's your questionnaire. Here's the first draft of your website. Any changes, great. We'll make those cool. Your website's live. Other person might have to go through it a little bit more.
1: That's how I ended up in digital products because I just didn't have the capacity to handhold anymore. My initial questionnaire was like, have you owned a business before? No. Have you tried to do this before? No. Okay, this is what I need you to do. And I sent them through a 30-day email course. They got an email every morning. Once they finished it and submitted what they did, then we could talk. If they didn't finish yeah, it, I, I wasn't even talking to them. I just didn't have the capacity to deal. Hmm. I think part of that too, I was teaching middle schoolers at the time. So my patience was like <laughs> that low. I was teaching middle schoolers while raising a middle schooler. Wow, it, It's not for the weak. I was just like, listen, I don't have the capacity to get in the back and forth with you, but here's what you need to prepare to work with me. And it's okay if you don't hire me. If you don't hire me to do the site, you can hire me for a little extra and I will give you the plan. I ended up as the business operations and systems strategist because around 2017, I found myself doing more operations consulting than website designing Mm -hmm. because my questionnaire evolved and it was, how much revenue are you expecting your website to generate for you over the next year? And it would be very low numbers, not even numbers that would justify hiring me. Part of that is cultural, but I was just like, okay, so what is your plan to generate this revenue? This is what I'm going to sell. Okay, that's what you're going to sell. But what is the plan for revenue generation? I'm going to put some ads here. Uh, yes, I understand that. But like, we need a plan to generate that revenue. You got this great idea and you know about the manufacturing part of it, but how are you making the money back? And so that's where I started because for a long time, my why do you do what you do was to pay the light bill because I didn't have a nine to five. And passion is cute and all that, but passion don't pay the bills. I was spending more time consulting operations and revenue generation before I got into building a website. Because one thing that plagued me was going to grab a link to a site I did to add to my portfolio, and that site was no longer operational.
0: I could see how that would be the reason for getting into revenue generation that is the indicator that oh this business has folded mm-hmm. already that's really interesting yeah.
1: there was a time where the site that I built did not go past the first year of renewal and i got frustrated because yes i was paid and i was underpaid but beyond the money thing like i spent a lot of time and care and put this into your site and you couldn't even pay the renewal fee it was just something for you to try out which is cool it's cool the check cleared and everything but I'm more interested in clients who are building for longevity. And I think that's yeah. why a lot of people also gravitate towards all businesses because you can do stuff on the fly. Notice the trend of people just running their businesses on the fly. Even if you plan out for next quarter, that's not far enough in my books. Because if you have to pivot, you have a very short time to pivot. And that type of operation is not sustainable. I found, especially in the last five years or so, people are just not trying to build for longevity. They're building for the moment or for the next quarter or for the next whatever figure milestone. They don't have a plan for once that milestone is hit. And when you don't have a plan for when that milestone is hit, you know, everything falls apart because now you're not in love with it anymore because you've achieved everything on your to-do list.
0: That is probably going to be the name for this episode, Building for Longevity. Yeah. Cause it is, it's so true. To quote the great Stephen Covey, beginning with the end yeah. in mind and where you want something to go versus the momentary gratification. I think that is just the perfect summation of kind of everything that we've talked about on this episode, Ricky, and the things that you are helping others do within their businesses. So, Can't thank you enough for coming on and being so generous with your time and chatting. This has been super fun. Two questions that I have for you to wrap things up. (laughs) Okay. First one is a business one. Second one's a fun one, as is tradition on this show. For my first one, the business one, if people want to know more about you and want to connect with you online, where should they go?
1: Okay, so I am on, I still call it Twitter. His mama named him Twitter. It's still Twitter. I am on Twitter, (laughs) Auntie Rick, A-U-N-T-E-R-I-K. And com is my website. If you need me immediately, though, find me on Twitter. Otherwise, I'll see the message eventually because part of my system is making sure that I check all the inboxes and the spam and the promotions folders at least weekly so I don't miss anything because I don't know if you're familiar with T-Pain and how he went into his DMs one day and found... A whole bunch of messages, opportunities to make money and do work he missed out on because he didn't well, even. Because
0: t Payne was really broke for a while. I think he like filed for
1: bankruptcy. Yeah, he, he went through some things, but then he discovered his DM inbox on Instagram and all the money he missed. <laughs> I've actually had that happen, not to that magnitude. And thankfully for me, it was something that I could still participate in. So mm-hmm. Sunday is spam folder day in my house. Oh, I love that. You have to like, and when I remember, I'll tweet it out or I put it up on my Instagram stories It's like, it's Sunday, go check your spam and promotions folder.
0: We will put links to all of those things in the show notes. And I also will be checking my spam folder <laughs> this Sunday. So thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> and for my final question to wrap our show up here, if you could go ahead and give me one for each category doesn't have to be business-related. It could just be things that you're interested in or things that you like for entertainment. But one for each category. Best things you have read, watched, and listened
1: to over the last year. I can't even give you a best thing I've read over the last year simply because I've been really bad at the reading. thing. The Big Leap. I have a chapter and a half left, but it's been a chapter and a half left since July. But that is the book I picked up this year. And I enjoyed it. But having done fiction reading in a really long time, I was the kid my parents had to kick out of the house because I would just hole up in my room with a book. Huh. And that really made me sad the day that I realized I had stopped doing that. watched Today I watched an interview with Angie Martinez. It has a podcast called In Real Life. And I watched her episode with Jeezy that just came out a couple of days ago. And I was just like, wow, he... Got the really good therapy. That conversation, it really pulled me in. But, and rest in peace to Richard Roundtree, who just passed yesterday. There's a movie with Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Richard Roundtree's in it. What a cast. Listen, I don't even know how it ended up on my TV, but it pulled me in. And it was, oh my goodness, I gotta find the name of it. I will send you the name of it. But basically, it was dark, very dark comedy, but it was
0: so good. And I found the name of it, I think, I believe it's called Moving On. That is it. Does that sound right? Yeah. Nice.
1: And it would probably go with a nice glass of wine. I'm allergic to alcohol now, so I can't even enjoy wine. If anyone listening decides to watch it, have a nice glass of wine and a nice little snack. It was so good. What was the last one? Listen to. Listen to. Okay. Outside of the GZ Podcast episode. Oh, It's very old. And I was really upset that I didn't know about it when it first came out. But I decided to skip sleep to watch a video of The Roots. I don't know. I found it at like 1.30 in the morning. It was close to four o'clock by the time it went off. And then I was so amped up I couldn't go to sleep. But it was the music my soul needed. And there were a few surprises. They're not surprises anymore. It happened in 2017. I was like, Why didn't I know that this occurred? I'm
0: very interested in that because Questlove, phenomenal drummer Mm -hmm. from The Roots, somebody I've just admired for his drumming ability for a long time. And The Roots, too, have a lot of, I know this is meta, but Roots in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. where I spent a decent amount of time like in my college years. My family's from Pennsylvania. I have a lot of family members who live in Philly. And I just know how impactful they have been mm-hmm. to the music scene there over time. But other than those couple of things, I don't know a lot about them other than that they are this insanely influential band. So I'm very interested to go back it's, and check that out.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, Clus beyond drumming, he's just amazing with music. He's like a vault of knowledge with music.
0: Thank you, Ricky, so much for your time, no problem, for coming so. on the show. Thanks for it's having me. it so fun chatting with you. And yeah, hope everybody out there is having a great week. This has been another awesome episode of Designing Growth. Until next time, everybody, my name is Sam Chalbowski. Have fun. Good luck. Go crush it. Take care, everybody.